You've been with Bulk for what, five years? Uh, seven, actually. Seven. Yeah. Yeah, a while. What, what gravitated you towards them, their company, and getting involved with that? Because you've obviously stayed with them for a while, and that's obviously a pretty good sign. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I met Ben at a fitness show that I was competing at um, before I started working here and um, had a chat. And, I mean, we all, a lot of people knew of Bulk Nutrients. They weren't as big as they were then. Um, and I just wanted to – I was working financial planning at the time, um, and I was based in the north of the state. Um, and I had some lifestyle changes. I always knew that I wanted to be in, like, health and fitness industry somewhere. And then they had a um, – an opening pop-up in customer service, um, and Ben asked if I'd wanted if I'd consider relocating to Hobart and taking up the role. And um, yeah, I, I just knew that if I got into the business, into the industry, um, the the doors would open within that. So it was sort of just stepping into that space um, that I was interested in. Okay, I want to go into like the day to day of what you do, like the roles, mm-hmm. responsibilities, because I think. A lot of people don't understand the behind the scenes of the supplementation they take on a daily basis, but I want to get kind of practical to start Mm. with. So obviously, Bulk Nutrients, one of Australia's biggest supplement companies, what do you think are the biggest justifications for supplementation? Obviously, there's bias. We all recognize that. But like, if we actually look at the science or the justifications, what do you think are the biggest justifications? I think um, supplements to me, they're always about um, supporting the good things that you're already doing for yourself. Hmm. Um, so I don't think that they're, you don't justify them by thinking that they're like your solution to everything. Um, and just by taking them all of a sudden, you know, you'll have big biceps or you'll run faster and um, and all that sort of sleep better and all that sort of stuff. So it's about the other things that you're doing. So I always see them in, in exactly what the word is. They're a supplement to the mm-hmm. good thing and supporting the good things that you're already doing. So that's eating well, training well, um, being active, um, good mental health, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think that's my biggest justification to that. How do you think about then people figuring out what supplements they should justify for their specific context and life? Yeah, um, it, it changes. So, like, I don't think you should ever um, put yourself into a basket of, you know, this is just the product and this is the product I'll use forever. Um, I've changed my lifestyle goals, my sports goals, my personal goals, and, and your health goes up and down depending on where you are at in life as well. So I think um, working out what's right for you is about assessing everything for you at that point in time and doing that on a regular basis. You know, is this product actually good for me now? It was two years ago, but is it is it still? Is it still doing the right the things I want it to do? Um, and we've got a really big range, so there is obviously often. I, I think there's often something that will suit your goals depending on what they are. Um, but yeah, it's it's it is really about what what your products, what your sports or goals are at the time. Do you encourage people to ask specific questions to figure that out? Like, what criteria could you do? You take yourself through mentally, or would you take another person through if they wanted to figure out which? supplementation options would be best for them yeah i think um I, you'd certainly ask you yeah, what is your goals and often the, the key ones that come to mind are um weight loss or muscle gain or lean muscle muscle gain and things like that so um and then it, we also come down to things like a cost component and then you know flavor and um there's lots of there's lots of different questions i think um are they actually getting it from their diet what's the rest of their diet look like and um, can we do that in real foods as well um, or do we need to supplement them um, also because we don't want to just be having 
well, obviously, I, I, you know, I want to encourage people to take bulk nutrients. Um, I also want to encourage people to eat, eat proper diets and things like that too. So we don't want to be just having everything out of powders also. Absolutely. Well, do you think in this modern day living and lifestyle that we have that you can tick most of the nutrient density requirements, RDAs, with minimal or no supplementation? Do you think that is realistic and possible? No, I think our diets change too much. I mean, even me personally, I'm vegetarian and I take an iron supplement. Um, and unless you're sort of probably, unless you're really aware of the, of the foods and, and what foods have what nutrients, I think it's really easy for us to to slip under um, in, in certain components. Yeah, like I said, um, protein would be a big one for me. Iron, um, you know, if you don't eat a lot of vegetables, then you're not getting all of your fiber and things like that too, so... Do you have a stack, like a plant-based, if you're a, you're a plant-based eater, right, predominantly like yourself, mm -hmm. do you have like a supplement regime stack that you would recommend people look at? Oh, um, I love the Earth Protein um, product myself. Um, and then I, I actually take an iron supplement, iron and vitamin C, I'm pretty sure, yeah, combined. Unfortunately, we don't sell the, the iron. So um, I'd love that to be in, our, in my ideal stack for bulk nutrients. But that's um, to do with TGA um, components there as well. For those who don't know, can you just define who TGA are? A therapeutic Goods Association. So it's just um, more strict regulations around things like your vitamins and minerals. Yeah. And, um, some of your supplements, fish oil. Is speaking of that, how simple, difficult is it to bolster your or any supplement with micronutrients and other vitamins in it to make to tick more boxes? As as like uh, you know, researcher and you know, developing a lot of these products, how difficult or easy is that? Oh, it depends on the products. Like something like a total meal replacement, we're going to look at. We're going to really look at um, the daily requirements for all of those vitamins and minerals, and that product would probably be the key one where we'd really look at it and say that's we want to be ticking um, a certain level in in that product itself. But when it comes to something like um, a protein, our goal is protein in that product, not necessarily um, the breakdown of the macro and micronutrients and the vitamins and minerals. Yes, they're a component, and we want to highlight those too. But people are taking protein for them, protein, and maybe more of a consideration would be, then be the lower fats and carbs because people are trying to have their whey protein isolate for just pure protein, not for the fats and carbs that they could get out of a um, fatty piece of steak or something. Okay. And to, to back up a little bit, the plant-based stack you know, you mentioned iron, you know, which you guys can't sell, but what are some other ones you'd recommend people on a plant-based diet? Um, I, again, it depends on, um, it depends on your goals. I'm, I'm endurance athlete too. So I like, um, the BCAA recovery because that helps and, and that one helps me with my recovery and reduce cramping, um, and hydration, um, what else is in there? I'm just trying to think all of a sudden, oh, I love the green fusion, that would be one, but I actually don't have that religiously every day. What's um, that one? Green fusion is a mix of spirulina, uh, chlorella, wheatgrass, and barley grass, um, and I love that more for immunity. So, um, and that really that goes for anybody though. Um, if I'm starting to feel a little bit sick, it's winter, a bit of a sore throat, tired, I'll just have a bit of that because um, sometimes yeah, we might just like a bit of it. Do you know the research on that on that stuff? Do you guys like specifically about that? that supplement mix, are you familiar with how those compounds can actually improve or modulate the immune system? 
Yeah, well, we look at the um, the breakdown of them and where, what they're really high in, um, in, in likes of the vitamins and minerals. I'm pretty, I can be a little bit airy-fairy sometimes on uh, my recall on some of those products because if I haven't worked on it for a long time, I'm just not up to speed. At the time, I've researched the products a lot to formulate them, um, but then they're good and they we might sell them obviously for quite a few years and I yeah. haven't refined my knowledge on them again. Well, that, that's completely fair enough. Like you, you would have, I don't know, how many products have you worked on? Over the years, oh, hundreds. Um, yeah, we we I suppose um, dial down on a number of products at any one time, um, and yeah, then once they're considered good good again or um, re-releasing or little updates, um, I might not touch them for a couple of years. Yeah. Okay, that's that makes sense. So, what are you actively working on now? Um, I'm actively working on the plant-based range. Um, we're really looking at. It's just a really trending market. Um, anything plant-based, plant-based. Um, we won't be doing things like your your plant-based burgers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we just know that that space is growing so much. So we look at our products then, and we go, you know, how good are our competitors? How good are we? Um, where do we sit? Um, and can we make improvements to make to continue to be competitive in that space? Um, and so we see things become more popular. Um, generally, things become better in quality. So we need to stay ahead of the market with that. Um, collagen's the same, huge mm. trends in our collagen, collagen products, and we're seeing that in um, our sales. Um, and then I'll just look at other trending, pro- other products that we might have where maybe we've just seen a little bit of a um, stagnation in sales um, or a decline um, and look at reasons why. Are people moving to a different product because of a trend or is our product not as good or maybe we're just not marketing it enough because we have so many products it's getting lost among the others and do we need to put that at the forefront again So. Okay, so plant-based collagen. To talk about plant-based, I mean, besides basic protein powders, what are you guys looking at developing or refining right now? Like, where, where's the gap in the market that you guys are seeing that's like trending? Oh, the, the gaps in um, in basically anything edible. I mean, it is like it's the burgers, it's the you know chicken alternatives. That's not really chicken. Um, protein bars, obviously huge. Um, they're all the trends and um, and we're very aware of them, but we also know what we shouldn't, we know what our market is and we know what we're good at and we're really good at powders. Um, and um, so, yeah, making something like a burger or a fake chicken or something like that, we would love to do it, but know what you're good at and know where your best, best product offering is. So then what's the play then? Like as tempting as it is, do you guys experiment Or is it, no, we're going to double down on our strengths and stick to, like you said, what we're great at? Like what is, as as an individual and as a company, like how do you guys approach that? Um, So we can experiment in other ways. We might experiment in fun seasonal flavors and and things like that to keep the product interesting and exciting. So, you know, we always do things around Christmas and that might be bringing out a gingerbread flavor or a Christmas pudding or just something seasonal and fun. Um, we're always looking at what other brands are doing, even if it's not our space. So we'll know that, yeah, another company has decided to start doing um, gels or um, they've made biscuits or cookies or, or pancakes in a packet and things like that. So, yeah, we're aware. And then we look at even things like messaging or the way they might do their packaging. Um, like for a while, we were using the term vegan a lot. Um, and then we sort of became aware that, Vegan um, has quite a obvi- like obviously our product is vegan, but as a word and a term, it mm. really puts a um, I guess it puts into a, a more of a niche, and so the use of the word plant based is more appropriate. 
Um, and because that sort of opens it up to anyone. Like lots of people are sort of happy to go, oh, yeah, I'll try something plant-based. But um, for meat eaters, maybe, they're um, less inclined to want to try something vegan because it has in the past had a bit of a negative connotation to it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like it's a very, any ism or, Mm. you know, is a very, um, can be a very emotive Mm -hmm. uh, conversation and word. Um, is there other, because that's like, it's an intelligent way to market when you consider that. Are there other examples that you guys have stumbled upon where you've been, you've used certain phrasing or you've called a product something and you'd be like, okay, we have to pivot here because that's actually counterproductive now. Uh, oh, one of them was probably, um, we were like the first, we would be probably one of the first companies to actually get into the collagen space, except we called our product beef protein. Um, and so the word beef protein automatically, you know, you're going, oh, I don't want to drink a steak. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't sound as good. And so we're a little bit ahead of our time there. And um, then we relaunched the product and it's, it's HCP, hydrolyzed um, peptide And so that's, I think that's worked for us a lot better. Um, and then we yeah, could remarket, rebrand it and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's another example of where we've changed the wording and the marketing around it. That's interesting. I mean, speaking about collagen, um, Obviously, it's it's one that is non-plant based, but you know, considering you know around thirty percent of uh, protein in our body is made of collagen, forms connective tissue. You know, it could be pretty important to supplement with it or to look at your intake of it, especially if you're not eating collagenous cuts of of meat. What what merit do you see, whether it's research or just anecdotes from intaking collagen protein? Yeah, I think there's um, lots of benefits to be made from it. Um, collagen, it's like super low in fats and carbs. Like I'm pretty sure it's like next to none. Um, so it's a really pure source. Um, you can take a little lower dosage as well. Um, I'm lucky that I've never really had major injuries in terms of like ligaments and joints and things like that. But a lot of people do say that um, it's really, really good for that. Um, but I know that when I, I've had some bike crashes because I'm a cyclist and um, I get worried about the scarring. And so I started taking... Um, collagen for um, yeah my skin quality as well and then we're seeing huge trends in that market um, for beauty collagen so targeted at that hair skin and nails audience as well and I mean um, I don't think it's just girls but yeah I'm I'm definitely drawn into that um, that component of it. Interesting have you guys dived into research to see because you know the skin is made of different types of collagen have you guys seen anything that is like exciting that you guys on that space on like skin health and research of collagen or is it still uh, emerging yeah it's still emerging um i've got some research papers there from um through our suppliers and things like that that help to educate us in, in that as well but um yeah definitely the de- we definitely focus a bit on our product being the joints um tendons muscle recovery mm. and things like that still yeah so what do you that's what we're working on now what are you most excited to work on in the future like if um, I if I gave you like unlimited resources and money, like what supplement are you designing or do you think the world could value? Oh, I don't know about what the world could value. But like fun ways, just like I would love to just do something like um, cookies and like baked baked goods and things like that. Like I'm a big advocate for those sorts of things, tasting really good. Um, and just being like a, a better alternative yes. to your naughtier option that'd be full of, you know, your sugars and butter and, and things like that. So if we had the capacity to yeah, do 
a full range of baked goods and things like that. I think that would be that would be really exciting, really fun. Taste testing for that would be awesome. Um, that would be really enjoyable, I reckon. So have you have you heard of Macro Mike? Yeah, I've met um, I've met the, uh, I don't can't remember his name. It's been so long ago now, like five years ago when we were at an expo together. But yes, do you know those products? The, so you you met the owner you're referring to? Yeah. Is his name actually Mike? I can't remember. Oh, that would really be bad. That'd be it's great. It's bad because I'm pretty sure I'd like have a photo. So anyway, um, yeah, I think I've got a bag of um, their pancakes at home. Yes, I mean that's. I think that's a great example, and they're a company who's a great example of um, someone who's doing that. They're having very macronutrient friendly uh, replacement options to your very calorically, metabolically uh, demanding and dense uh, sweets and yeah. baked goods. What's cool with um, Macromite too is he said does they use um, almonds and peanut flowers and things like that too. It keeps it really separate to us, which um, is also a good thing um, because we don't use the pure nuts and things because they are an allergen. So um, because we don't use any of those, if we started to, we'd have to introduce that onto like, you know, all of our labelling that we do produce them and, and we don't know what portion of our market might be um, severely, obviously allergic because it's common, um, allergic to nuts. And um, so we choose not to step into that space. But at the same time, another company doing products like what we do, um, it's welcome. It's not a bad thing because... They're educating the market, and it means it's a portion we don't need to educate. Um, PTP. And, yeah, and then yeah, and then that's right. They're doing plenty of. All the Is things. that the one you're going to mention? ATP Science. Uh no, not so. Like, but I mean, they've got a lot of data as well, um, and back a lot of their stuff. But yeah, if it's anything new, um, like like I said, we were some of the leaders in in the collagen, hmm. and so people when we brought that out, people weren't necessarily like really aware at the time, like what collagen was to consume, what it did. And they weren't so open-minded to it. Um, fast forward a year or two and every other brand is now with their own collagen product and they're educating the market. You know, people are more aware of it because they've read it here, here and everywhere else. And so that's um, that's helpful for us. Yeah. That's all. Okay. So wait, what, what, what were you going to mention who were doing like a good job in that space? Oh, I don't think I was. No, no, I think okay. it's just it's, yeah, generalized. Okay. Um. Okay, so what's the day-to-day for you? Like, what do you, for those who don't know, what's your role title technically? Um, product developer, yeah. um, food technician, yeah. All right. So day-to-day, when what do you, what's most of your day actually look like? Is it, I think, I don't know, most people might think you're just tasting, testing food all day, but like there's probably a lot of sit-down, A-B test, research, communicate like what is it yeah I sort of two I probably have two distinct types of days um I have the ones where I am just at my computer um a lot and then I've got lab days um so I try to bundle my lab days into the into the one or two a week um so that when I go into the lab I know what testing I want to be doing what what I hope to achieve and and it's just a day on my feet in the lab doing lots of tastings so those portions of days yeah they're one or two a week and then the rest are yeah on my computer like I said, it's um I do a lot of surveying um to our customers, so I might I might be building surveys for an entire day, um that I plan to send out to a thousand customers, um depending on what we're looking to research, um and understand our product a bit more, and, and that'll come because we've internally identified that we want to explore that product a bit more. Like I said, it might be um a, re- a drop in sales, maybe it's an increase in sales, and we want to know why, and then what what direction we think we should be taking this 
product if, if it is growing so well. Um, I'll be collecting that data. I'll be putting it into a presentation. So we go through that with um, some of the other management groups. Um, I'll just research other brands. So maybe we're looking to do a new, let's just say a new pre-workout product. Um, so I would then be researching all the other brands, what ingredients they use, what they're doing, what their market is, how they market the product, key messages, um, pricing, uh, how they sell it, all that sort of stuff as well. So just basically build cases around the products that we're looking at doing in the improvements. Um, and then any other products that we might have actually finalised in the R&D phase, um, I'll be organising paperwork and documents to give to like our web developers who need to then update the website with all this new information that this product's been updated with. And so it's lots of communications through the chains, um, including us to, our, I might be talking directly to suppliers because I want, you know, these six different new flavours and I need to see if they can get them to me and etc. Um, the lab day, that one's a tasting day. So that could range from tasting the samples that suppliers have sent and they might come through um, our manufacturing manager who's got them. So sometimes we look at backup supplies because, you know, COVID happened is a good example and sometimes supply chains can fail. Mm. So you always want backup options. So I'll taste test, taste test the raws. That can be pretty gross. Like um, what? What's the grossest thing you've tasted? Uh, I mean, raw green tea is pretty bad. Um, it's really strong. Um, just a lot of the aminos are just, they're bad. I, yeah. I have done fish collagen before it got good and it tastes as bad as, like, it's a, it tastes like a fish oil tablet. It's disgusting. Um, sometimes there's some where I can just smell them and I'm like, no, nah, nah, no one would buy that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll do those sorts of taste testings as well and then I'll put together the analysis and say, no, we wouldn't buy this or yes, we'll buy this. This is a good backup option. Um Maybe, maybe I need to do a new flavour, so I'll be mucking around with different fun flavours, um, making up samples that we will externally test with customers. So if we want to do new flavours in products, we might have three different versions and then we actually get our customers to do that work for us. We'll invite people to take part in um, product testing. Um, we'll send them out product samples and um, they'll complete surveys for us on their opinion and that, that can be what helps um, us work out what product goes to market. Yeah, because palatability and there's a sensory uh, sensors are quite can be quite unique, right? Especially mm -hmm. depending on age and like a whole bunch of variables. So is that how you, uh, how do I say, manage the risk of putting all your eggs in one basket with just trusting one or a couple of opinions is that you have oh, yeah. to give hundreds of samples out yeah, I mean, some, there's some products that specifically I can trust myself and just say, yeah, um, this is better than that or there's not enough difference, that sort of thing. But when it comes to especially our really big main products, um, yeah, we want we want to send it out to 100 customers, um, get their opinion on it, and that will help us, help us determine it. Because like you said, like we found that for a while we were testing in-house and um, but we're very, we're very in tune with what our product is like. And so what we think is acceptable might not be what our audience thinks is acceptable in the same way that I don't actually, I might work on all the products, but I'm actually not the end user of the product. And so I might think, oh, no, this this is way too sweet. We need a less sweet and I have to make it perfect for me. I'm not a sweet tooth, hmm. but the user of that product loves it to be like sugar water and that's okay. Um, we're just going to make it for who our customer actually is. So what's an example of when you guys thought, all right, 
this is great. It's a great product. It tastes great. And then you send it out and you just get trash feedback back. Uh, it can be just um, different different versions of flavours. So I might look at a different supplier of like a, um, a caramel. Actually, there was one. I did a caramel flavour once and I thought like I thought it was so much better. I was like, yeah, this is definitely going to win. I'm just going to send it out to our 50 people and it'll come come back great. And the ratings I got, I mean, people didn't like, they didn't spit on it. It wasn't that bad. But it just, it didn't win and it didn't win by quite a significant amount. And that's okay. Basically, that reinforces why we do those tests, I think. Is there an example of the opposite end with something you didn't think came out so good, but you tested it and it's like, wow, they're responding really positively. This is surprising. Uh, no, I do generally have a pretty, I mean, aside from those couple of odd cases, I have a pretty good feel for yeah. what, what works and what's better, um, which is good because the idea is that I want to try and refine it as much in-house before I send out that, that sample out to people. That wants to be the last step of the whole process. Right. So you're pretty, con- especially, you know, you're leaning on nearly a decade of experience. Like that's, you trust your intuition and wisdom, but um, for those who want to get into your space, like studying nutrition science like they set they position it to be a food technician you have to do uh, an undergraduate degree um but i don't know that to be the case 100 percent or a master's um if someone wants to be a food technician like you and work at a supplement company they like the sounds of what they're hearing do they have to go through that pathway uh i think i think typically you would like i mean um if you wanted to go work at somewhere like cabris or was that um, what you did I'm doing it, um, actually. So, no, I, I hadn't done it when I first started. So the whole scenario started, like I said, I got into customer service mm. and then I actually worked in event management for one year and then at the same time our product developer at the time, he um, he quit. And um, so, but I'd already dabbled in the space internally um, and so I was a natural fit into it. So they said, oh, do you want to step into the role full time? You know, we'll just train you into it to start with. And got it. Then I've been in it ever since. So, yeah, I'm industry taught. And then uh, what year did I start? 2019 maybe uh, or maybe 18. I did um, a certificate five in food science technology and then I've gone on to do my degree and I'm still doing it. I'm just doing it part-time. Um, I've been doing two subjects this semester in the past but I've dropped it to one this semester because it, it is a lot to juggle everything. Um, but, yes, I do think that if you were yet yeah, to apply to um, – companies you, you do normally need it and chances are now with the way bulk nutrients has grown compared to back then that would also be the case too they'd be looking for qualifications as well yeah okay that makes sense so you you were kind of just in a fortunate you know yeah. scenario and serendipitous that you took advantage of which is great but i want to back up to the amino acids because actually i asked a couple of cl- a client of mine because he's a bulk nutrients uh, supporter gets their products just like i do um and the amino acids Amino acids in isolation taste generally pretty bad, except glutamine. Glutamine is very tasteless and it has a good solubility. Why is, like, compared to that, why is there such a difference in taste there compared to, like, a BCAA and and an isolated glutamine? Yeah, BCAAs are really, they're really bitter. Um, And honestly, um, as far as the chemical... um, set up of those ingredients go individually like i'm not really sure i guess it's something there that that there's just something that creates that you really bitter taste in i mean eaas they taste even worse than these eaas um yeah. and uh, yeah a lot of our customers don't realize the, the work that has to go in to make them palatable and when they say they might taste bad i'm like no no you haven't tasted bad these <laughs> 
<laughs> it tastes really good now. Compared um, to what but, it was. Yeah, that's right. And we do get some that say, oh, can you make um, you know, whatever product, uh, Future Way, for example, can you make Future Way um, unflavoured? Like they, they don't want the flavoured version. No one would drink the unflavoured version because it's so it's that's made of um, free form amino acids. So it's, it's literally your EAAs, your BCAAs, all of those ingredients on their own. And it would taste really bad. Mm. Um, but yeah, some just some just taste worse than others. Um, Have you looked at uh, non-caloric, artificial and non-artificial sweeteners like monk fruit? Uh, extra monk fruit and erythritol and allulose. Have you heard or used those in your products to do maybe an unflavored with a little bit of sweetness? We use monk fruit in our um, in our vegan in our earth protein already. So yep, um, and we use a blend of stevias because different stevias can have different um, sweetness notes and where they hit your palate first, and then they can hang around for longer. Um, and we do also sell our um, we sell amino flavoring, so you can. They're obviously sweetened, flavoured, so you can flavour those raws on your own. Um, but we did sell a product called Sweetvia, and I think that was eryth- erythritol, and it must have been stevias because it was natural. Um, but we discontinued it. It just didn't sell enough. Mm. I think there are probably enough um, other sweetener options that you, you could probably do that yourself. If you preferred a bit of Cotty's Cordial in there, you could do that yourself as well. Right. Uh do you, are you familiar with when you do do you do the nutrition uh, information panels? Mm, you yeah. do. So, from my understanding, is they metabolize those non-caloric sweeteners and metabolize quite differently. Um, when you do that, are you how much of that are you counting? Do you end up counting the, like the monk fruit or the stevia or the erythritol into that NIP? Yeah, it's fully calculated in. Um, we use them at such small amounts that it would have next to no impact. Okay. Like we're talking about like in um, like 100 grams, it's like it's less than like half a milligram. Yeah. Like, no, because I'm asking actually because yeah. they uh, – most of it actually doesn't get absorbed into the bloodstream from my understanding mm-hmm. and a lot of it's excreted, which make it so uh, – such a useful – tool to naturally sweeten your food mm. without getting the caloric load is that what you see as well from your end oh we just see it. i mean because because it literally doesn't have any um any weighting really as far as nutritional panel go we don't concern of that too much we definitely look at that if we're looking at um carbohydrates that are weighted as a fiber and when they're digested differently um through the gut yeah so then that that one plays a part because um, so how do you do that you have soluble and non-soluble fiber which get it can be tricky. Like, how do you know how many calories per gram? Soluble versus non-soluble. Uh, I, my boss Ben, the one that runs all of this place, he's very much in that space. And so, yeah. when we're using those sorts of ingredients, um, and we want to be really specific about what sort of um, uh, information or not information, but the facts that we're putting out, um, he'll get really involved in that and and have all of that information there as well. So. Between myself, Ben, who also is an R&D, and then we've got Quality Assurance, who um, Quality is like he he cross-checks everything and makes sure um, all of our T's and I's are dotted and things like that. So, yeah, he looks at the nutritional panel with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that it's all going out correctly. So it's sort of got a bit of a three-step process. It's me that does the, the R&D and puts all the bases together. Um, you've got 
Ben, who might have a real clear message about why we're doing a product and how and how we're marketing it and and the ideas around that. And then we've got Vince, who does all the quality assurance and makes sure that everything's legit as it should be. Got it. You see, you're just leaning on a great team of you know food technician geniuses. Yeah, yeah it's all it's all works it all works together. Yeah, it's never it's never been one person. Right. Of course. Um, another question I had from a client of mine was that. He noticed that majority of ingredients are sourced from China, as a lot of things are nowadays. And we wondered, like, have you guys ever thought about doing an Australian sourced only? Of course, it might be a bit more costly, but, you know, supporting Australian farmers, having an Australian range for people. Yeah, um, there's certain products. I think our natural, oh, don't quote me, but it was. Our natural way was um, Quantera, which is Australian. It could be New Zealand now. Um as far as things like aminos and that go, hmm. uh, there isn't Australian suppliers. It, it has to come from China. So there's just certain products that they just don't come from Australia. We might use um, an Australian supplier chain, but then they deal with the China chain. So um, we're still supporting an Australian business in one sense, I guess, but it's still just another supplier network. Um, where we can, there are some things like some fruit extracts, um, I think, Maybe it could be our flaxseed was, um, things like our almonds. We do have almond meal for some of our snack products, our flour, um, things like that, especially if there are smaller quantity amounts. Um, yeah, we get Australian. Um, a lot of our flavorings are all Australian, actually. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. And um, it's good to put into context that, you know, I didn't even think that, oh, we just can't get them in Australia. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a very real problem. And, yeah. And sometimes quantities, simply quantities. Like we've got some products that are just, yeah, really high, really high level quantities and they can't be supplied at least to the level that we want. Right. Yeah. I mean, you guys have probably such a high output of products that require that amount of input. And so you mm-hmm. just, you can't get it in, which is understandable. But to go on a couple of, more supplement questions that we started the conversation with i wondered like what are some and you see just a general like biggest misnomers about supplements that you hear and see in your experience that you commonly squash do you have any i think i used to be way more in tune with this when we did a lot more expos like we still do expos but i personally don't work them um anymore i think I think the biggest one is what I touched on earlier and that it's just that supplements will be like, you know, your solution to everything. If you start taking a, a weight loss protein or product, all of a sudden the kilos will shed off you. Like that's not the case. You, you can't work out, have your weight loss product and then eat um, Maccas every night. It just, yeah, it doesn't work. Maybe for some people with a wicked metabolism, but it doesn't work. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is, yeah, you just have to, that's the biggest one. Yeah, you have to do the right things. What do you think then people over-supplement with? They lean on too much maybe instead of getting their intake from their food. Uh, oh, it would be proteins for sure. Um, people forget that um, straight chicken is protein. Like, you know, if you, if, it's just what do you want to eat? If you finish your workout, do you want to go and down a steak straight away or is that practical or can you consume a protein shake? You can consume a protein shake. That's It's on the go. It's easy. It's quick. It tastes tastes good so yeah I, I would say it's that and then people also lean on them for um meal replacements um when they're definitely not the same thing um 
I'd say a protein shake is more of a snack replacement. So if you're inclined to grab a, yeah, a chocolate bar at three o'clock in the afternoon, a protein, a protein shake would be a better option, but it's not a meal replacement. The, you know, they're one to 200 calories a serve. That's not a meal at all. Right. Do you get any idea of the, the usage of your customers and how they're actually using the products if they're using it for things like that versus, you know, the other side that you were talking about? We've actually just started doing a lot more extensive research on our customer base and it's product by product as I'm looking at them um, to work that out. So some of the questions I'm asking is, yeah, how often do you have a shake? So um, common answer is one a day, but then yeah, you've got people saying two or three a day um, and how are they taking it? Is it just with water? Is it in a smoothie? Is it in their cooking? So yeah, I'm starting to um, get some answers in terms of that. Yeah, don't have everything yet. Because you do a lot of surveys, I wonder... Throughout your career, is there a particular survey or feedback that you've gotten that has really been a kind of a light bulb, thought-provoking, you know, stimulating moment for you that you're like, wow, okay, I didn't realize that. That is, that's going to change the way I do this or do that. Um, yeah, I think some of them was when I'm. One of them was when I do surveys. So on these samples, um, when we send them out, is I'll send the link to a survey in the email, but. But people always want to go and look at what questions they're going to be asked so they can do the analysis. So um, once I realised people were doing that, I started adding the questions that are in the survey in as a PDF document so people can just open them up and see them um, so that they know what they're considering while they're doing the taste testing and I'm asking them to do. So that's a process thing, I suppose. Um, and we're forever refining the surveying um, based on the product and what we're trying to find out. Um, yeah, it's... So surveying is surprisingly hard work. Like you, you go and um, you think that, oh, yeah, it's easy. Let's just ask a bunch of why questions, a bunch of open-ended questions. But if you send an open-ended question to 2,000 people and you get 2,000 people writing an essay to you, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of analysis. Um, and so doing things like simplifying them down and how to make that data really relevant and usable for, for me to be able to do things with it, um, that's been something we've been really working on as well. To pe so people really do that. People really will give you long ass, like real long, extensive answers on in deep. Oh into yeah, them. yeah, yeah. People get really passionate about it, and um, they'll give you and and it's good. Like you know, it, understanding the whys can really help with things as well. So I mean, sometimes yeah, we all babble on about irrelevant things, um, and people will go on a tangent that is something that I really just cannot help them with, um, and it's just the way the product is, and I can't do anything about what they're complaining about. Yeah. Um, but it is still useful, yeah. In our now, currently, what's the most overrated? You don't have to talk about bulk nutrients, but just in general, supplementation. What's the most overrated supplement that you built? You think and you say? Uh, no, I'm biased. I just I don't I don't rate pre workouts. Yeah, personally. let's talk about. Yeah. it. have you tried um, them before? Oh yeah, no, I, I've used them, um, but. Like I said, my goals changed a lot too, so I definitely don't do the gym life stuff that I used to do, um, and I'm yeah more into cycling and everything now. I just, which I suppose a pre workout doesn't lend itself to very well. If I go out for a five hour ride, I don't no, want to. You jacked up for the first half an hour. Yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden I'm crashing at the end. Um, but I think I, I did always have um, a bit of a view that you know you can probably achieve it with a, a quick coffee, um, or if you're feeling that tired that you need a a pick me up from a pre-workout maybe you shouldn't train mm. um 
So maybe listening to your body a little bit more, but hey, there's a huge market for pre-workouts. People love them. They're one of our better sellers. So yeah, by no means is that like, you know, advice to take on, I suppose. No, but it's a, it's a, your perspective and that's what, that's what I wanted to hear like because uh, a lot of people lean on them to kind of band-aid mm. fix their energy system issues yeah. and mm-hmm. don't actually get to the root cause of why are you waking up with poor energy and you're sluggish consistently day in and day out? How can yeah. you address that? Yeah, and I think yeah, having period of time off them um, or yeah, lean, maybe only leaning on them for that, that real epic workout you want that one time right, a week, right, whether right, that's right. a huge leg workout or something like that. Um, and then they're okay. But yeah, when you're starting to become reliant, you can't work out without them. Right. Then I start yeah, then then it's a reliance and um, probably need to question the other components. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, with cycling, because uh, you are, I took a look, you seem like you've been an avid lover of cycling for many years. Do you, with your routine, like let's go even away from supplements. What's your kind of pre-competition, pre-training, post-training routine? You could, We can talk uh, mobility. We can talk tissue release. We can talk med- mindfulness. Like what's that routine look like that helps you optimize your cycling performance? Yeah, um, I do do a lot of yoga and stretching and things. Um, recently, been pretty tight, so up to that a bit, and that includes things like physio and that as well. Um, and I do work with a bit of a um, mindful coach as well, so working on mindset. Um, and I've got my coach who he he focuses a lot on that. So, yeah, having um having a good mindset is definitely key. Visualization and all that sort of stuff, and that's. I guess that's a real mental side of, of cycling or of any sport, um, what you're hoping to achieve. So we set a lot of goals, um, you know, whether they're big two-year goals or and then the small goals in, in the meantime um, to tick off. Um, yeah, physically, I guess it's about um, knowing what those goals are and where I need to be physically and then leading into them. So, yeah, I can't just plan to go do some massive race on the weekend. It's, it's got to be thought about and planned in and tapered and, and all that sort of stuff, like most sports, I guess, I suppose. On the day, competition day, do you have a uh, routine that you go through? Um, yeah, my routine would probably start, literally would start like two nights out. Um, I The best night's sleep you can get is actually two nights before your competition. Um, so I'll always try and get that quality, you know, longer hours sleep than two nights before because the night before maybe I'm busier, Um Maybe I'm a little bit nervous, so I don't sleep well anyway, but it has less impact. Um, and I like to have a chocolate bar the night before. That's just like, um, whether it's a cherry ripe or a Snickers, that's my little treat for my race the next day. Um, two hours beforehand, it'll be a carby kind of meal. Um, I like I like breakfast, um, so it'll be wheat mix, banana, honey, um, something like that. And then an hour out, it'll be a muesli bar, something fairly dense. And then so, I've got all my race. So you're really trying to, um, you know, make sure your glycogen stores are filled, you have mm. adequate glucose running through your blood, like, and then while you're running or while you're cycling, how do you think about intra-training or intra-cycling uh, fuel? Yeah, um, I like to eat my fuel rather than drink it. Um, I'm a guzzler, so I don't like to go for, like, carb options in my drink bottles. Um, I'll have, actually, use BCAAs in my drink bottles, at least one of them. Um, and then the other might just be water. Um, and I'll try and go through, I'll, I'll try and go through bottles. Sometimes you just don't. And 
Uh, eating wise, it'll be something between about 50 to 60 grams of carbs an hour, depending on the intensity of the race. And the longer it is, the more important that is towards the end. So that'll come in the form of cliff box or gels, or to be honest, I don't really have bars while I ride, um, while I race. I, I train with them, but I don't race with them because they're harder to eat, hmm. harder to digest. So yeah, instant stuff with gels and things. And post? Uh, yeah, post I'll have like something to eat straight away that's carby and protein. So I actually really like overnight oats and I'll make up a jar of like overnight oats and banana and oats and protein and honey and whatever else in there. So that's probably one of my go-tos. I've done rice and chickpeas as well. You do want pretty boring uh, like after a race you're not hungry you're just eating because you need to eat and it's more important if i've got back-to-back racing days mm, okay interesting how long you've been cycling for actually only three years you not say you long. say only yeah <laughs> oh because the people i race with have been doing it since they could walk like yeah right is there something that the competitions and cycling has taught you over the over the couple of years that you know, about life, you know, because I think competition and sport, it really can teach you about life. Is there something you've had, an experience you've had that has really uh, changed you? Oh, I think it's, um, it's it's hard and life is hard and, you know, we have our ups and downs. And I think one of the biggest things I noticed um, when I've done back-to-back, like, multi-day tours, so it's like four or five days of racing, um, it's the ups and downs you can experience in those days. You know, one day you're on cloud nine and it's the best feeling ever and because you've done a good race and you've maybe you didn't win, but you felt like you achieved your goals and you felt great. And the next day you got dropped from the pack and you couldn't contribute to your team and you just feel awful and you feel like, you know, the bottom of earth. I don't know. Like it's just those ups and downs and learning how to deal with those ups and downs, knowing that the next day is just a new day and putting it behind you so you can refocus. Like, yeah, that's like that, that's the same as you know having a disagreement with a friend or somebody and then being able to move past it and go okay we've dealt with the issue now we're, we're friends again let's move on like mm. it's yeah that, that's my comparison to real life I guess with that and I really noticed that um probably in the last year or so of, of multi-day racing um and the other thing I really uh, value from it is it's taught me to appreciate my body for what it can do physically um, versus what it could do aesthetically, which is what I was previously sort of involved with in gym, and I think a lot of a lot of us are. Um, we all like to look good or look a certain way, but I really value being able to do something physically with my body now. What's the most surprising slash impressive feat that you've performed personally for yourself? It doesn't have to be a comparison to anyone else. That you're like, wow, I didn't know I was capable of that. Um. I don't even know how to explain. I guess sometimes it's it's literally doing a race and and not. I, you finish events and you finish things and um, you might go, oh, I could have gone faster, but but there's no way you could go faster at that point in time. You were at your absolute max. Actually, I'll I'll say one thing. It was in a race and um, I've never put myself like through something so hard that I vomited, like ever. And um, I vomited on myself at the top of the climb. So you're like, riding, you're riding. Yeah, I was right. riding r- really hard. It was really hot. And, um, yeah, I just I just vomited on myself. And I was just like, wow. I actually felt like I had achieved something, something disgusting. But I felt so accomplished because I was like, I pushed myself that hard, so hard I didn't think that was possible um, and to do that. So I felt like I joined some elusive club. <laughs> <laughs> being out of moment because I worked so hard and I like, hear of that and just like oh as if you could do that and then I did it and I was like actually that's possible 
Right, and what happened? You, uh, did you stop or did you keep going? No, no, I kept going. I grabbed a water bottle off someone at the top of the hill. I like poured it over myself and yeah, I kept going. That's the point though. Like I think that's the moment when you, when you're in so much pain and voluntary suffering that you literally vomit on yourself in the middle of an uphill climb on a hot ass day. Doing you, you don't have to cycle. You choose to cycle, right? It's all voluntary and you keep going. There's something really special that that teaches you about yourself and the potential that we all have. Yeah, and every race I've done like that, not, not necessarily vomiting all the time, but where I've pushed through the pain or I've gotten over a climb and I've, I've learned that my every time my legs can, like my heart, they can, it can hurt a whole new level. Um, and I feel like every time you achieve that and you realise you've pushed this new boundary, hmm. um, you forget how to do that lower level anymore and you just keep wanting to push and push and, and lift that ceiling and yeah that's something i'm really seeing a lot of when i do it as well and it's really exciting it's really fun are you tr like what are your personal goals with cycling then like how serious are you taking how far are you trying to pursue it oh like if i could get to europe i definitely want to go to europe yeah what would you have yeah. to do to make that happen um get a get a contract how do you do that? Um, how do I do that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the cycling world is not my... Yeah, no, no. You, you get managers and you get um, contacts and you you um, try to get con get contracts. You also do well in, in certain races. So there's definitely key races that you want to do well because they help um, launch your name out to those important people that take notice that are involved in those teams. Um, so it's like Australian national champs, um, tour down under, Herald Sun, these probably don't mean anything to you, but they're just some, they're some world tour level races that are held in Australia. So they're more um, accessible as well. And then getting to Europe as a person is I could go over there, but COVID obviously it put a bit of a, a stop to that. So yeah, it's just different. You've got to find different ways of getting, getting noticed now. Um, hopeful, especially after the vomiting story that uh, <laughs> you'll find a way to make that happen. Yeah, me too. I <laughs> Do you, do you have children? No. Okay. So, see, this is, it's a question I wanted to ask about actually pregnancy and prenatal uh, supplementation. Are you familiar with that space at all? Um, I've done a little bit of reading on it um, and we do get lots of inquiries actually about um, supplementing when you're pregnant um, or, or post. Um, all of our products have to, by law, hold the warnings of not using them, not using supplements when you're pregnant or post um even but, if that supplement is designed for pregnancy uh oh that we don't have specific products designed for pregnancy we've we did choose we have chosen to stay out of that space a bit because it is just um hampered with some more legislation and rules regulations sure. i suppose um you can like that's the sort of thing where you just need to talk to your doctor it's like anything you know they say oh you can't add exercise when you're pregnant but you know, then we see women that have always ridden or always ran even and gone to the gym. And so it makes sense. Just keep going, keep doing your routine, whatever's also like normal for you um, and your body and what's safe for you and your body during that time. And that's something that your doctor helps you um, to work out and manage. And the same sort of goes to supplements. Um, you know, it's it's powdered, something like protein's powdered milk, um, but by no means would you ever recommend something like, Thermo way because it's full of thermogenics and you, the aim when you're pregnant is not to lose weight. That's not really what you're going for there. So, you know, there are certainly in pre-workouts and things like that that might elevate heart rate and add stimulants and 
there's lots of things like that. So it's a doctor conversation um, and, yeah, one that we don't really do, but it's um, a bit of common sense as well. Okay. I just wanted to touch on that briefly because it's a curiosity mm. of mine, but to backtrack, cycling, athlete, like you mentioned the supplements that you take as an athlete, your pre, your intro, your post. Is there anything like you know, for the average athlete listening, high-performing athlete that you would recommend they look into that maybe we haven't mentioned or just that we have mentioned that you would still look at, definitely look into this as a priority? Yeah, um, Sports Fuel 101, I think it is, is our new product um, that we've launched recently. Um, it is probably targeted a little bit more towards endurance athletes um, in that it's like your, one, your whole com- combined mix of your protein. It's got collagen in there. Um, your aminos for recovery um, and carbohydrates. So, I mean, I personally mentioned that I don't drink my carbs very much. I do in training, but I don't for racing so I can track it better. Um, But that's your ultimate. It's got everything. It's got the carbs, your protein, all that sort of stuff in there to keep you going if you're an endurance athlete or even if you were just literally going for a big, big bushwalk or something um, would be my recommendation to look at. But if you're not and you're more just like your gym goer and you're one to two hours a day, then I think I think BCAA recovery is underrated. Like I love that stuff. It's um I noticed you rec you mentioned a BCA oh actually first of all on the sports fuel, I noticed it has some pretty important minerals in here like potassium and magnesium mm. and sodium, which we lose a lot through sweat, which mm. is a great yeah. sign. But I noticed you recommend BCAs um quite a bit. Why do you tend to recommend them maybe instead of the full spectrum essential amino acids? Oh, the full spectrum one, it'll really come down to taste for me. Um, we sell our we sell our essential our EAAs in two forms. I think it's um, a flavoured like electrolyte plus and then we've got, um, which has carbs and then we've just got electrolyte blend that doesn't. And so for me, I don't, like I said, I don't want the carbs, so I don't want the electrolyte plus. That's just me personally. Um, but again, it would be an option. Um, that so that one wouldn't come with so much the proteins and and things like the sports fuel does. So your sports fuels like your your well rounded. It'll it'll probably suit everybody. It's got all everything you need in there. And then you're kind of dialing it back to a little bit more customized options, I suppose, by working backwards and giving it a bit of more, bit more of an individualized approach when you go to your EAAs alone or your BCAAs alone. Um, when I don't want carbohydrates but i want something tastes good and i'm pretty bad at drinking straight water that's another reason i love bcaas and all my bottles are like um they taste like any cordials that i've had in them from the past like because yeah yeah res- even if i stop on a ride and chuck a powerade in there now it tastes like powerade so yeah i've always got to flavor it with something um but they're really obviously really good for um what's it called cramping and things too like people swear by that um for the bcaas so Okay. Do you have any, like the, the sports fuel version for the average weight training athlete or person who weight trains consistently? Um, that's where I would just have something like your, your BCAAs. Okay. I don't think you need your carbohydrates um, so readily for like that yeah, one-hour pump session or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, you can probably eat a banana afterwards or just have your, your proper meal afterwards, I think. Okay. Nicole, I think this is a good place to close the conversation. Do you have any last thoughts, questions, comments for us of the audience? Actually, you know what? I might as well ask you because I ask most people this at the end. 
you know, we education company who, you know, certifies students to be qualified for their Cert 3 and 4. So if you could send a message and you had a podium where you were speaking to, you know, all the graduates for personal trainers and coaches, exercise science students, in your experience, what do you tell them? You've got to be passionate about what you do. Whether, whether that's educating people and through studies, so you're learning, um, or that's through the sport that you're doing because you've got to love it every day, you've got to do it every day, but then what you're learning, if you're passionate about it, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not a uni subject. It's not, it's not hard learning. It's, you're taking it in because you want to and because you're interested. So you've got to, got to stay passionate, I think. Mm. Okay, passion. Nicole? Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Do you have do you have like a are you act, that active on social media? I'm most active on my Instagram. Yeah. Okay. And that's at underscore Nicole Louise. Underscore. I tried to tag yeah. you. It's so difficult to tag you with those underscores. You get that a lot. I've never heard it. No. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> I got the tag. It's okay. So, oh, good. Sweet. Okay. Great. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure to speak to you. And look. If you guys are open to it, I would love to speak to more people from the Bulk Nutrients team just to dive into all these subjects across the whole spectrum. Yeah, no worries. I'll let them know. Thanks so much for having me. Done. Pleasure. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that was Nicole Frain from Bulk Nutrients R&D and Food Technician. Um, talking everything supplementation. What was I going to say? Uh, God damn it. I forgot. Oh, well, um, I'm going to try and get some more bulk people on in the future and we can talk more nitty gritty nutrition science of the stuff I'm very curious into. Other than that, Orphic Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Alexander Emanuel Sandalis and you can find us on all podcast platforms. This podcast, hope this new camera is looking sweet. I've hooked up my DSLR to this uh this new new setup I got, and this I never look so crisp and clean, if I do say so myself. And that's it, guys. We'll see you in the next time in the next one. You can catch me on at Strength of Sard if you want to follow my coaching training journey. Otherwise, thank you, guys.